I just want to say from the beginning here that there has been so much prayer, so much prayer around this weekend. You have been prayed for. I mean, there has been a labor of love for each of you, those in person. I know there's many of you online, many who couldn't come into the building, but you're watching from home and God can meet you there. I know it. Next year, we'll be in a much bigger venue. In Jesus' name. If there's anything that I can say before I start talking, just know how much the Father loves you. Do you know how many of us he would wake up during the night over the last couple of months to pray for you, to contend in the spirit for you? I believe this is a room of breakthrough, of healing, deliverance. And I know he's moving even now. The passage that we're going to read in a moment, and I'm going to have you stand in a moment, not right now, but I want to give you a little bit of context first before we read it together but it's in Genesis chapter 32 we read about a man named Jacob and if you're newer to faith and I know so many of you are new to faith new to this whole God thing so welcome on to the great adventure not an easy one but definitely worth the adventure but Jacob was a twin and he had a brother named Esau but Jacob was a bit of a you know a little bit of a huh little trickster and you see back in the day if you were the firstborn like Esau was you you were given a special privilege a special right a a special blessing from your father and Jacob wanted that blessing so he tricked his father and he tricked his brother into getting that blessing and so the story goes on Esau wants to drop kick his brother you know what I'm saying he wants to take care of business so Esau had to flee and flee pretty far away and for about 20 years he went and served another household he met Laban soon to be father-in-law he tricked him Laban tricked Jacob and he thought he was marrying his babe his the love of his life instead he got stuck with the one he didn't like that's another story in itself kind of messed up what the Bible says in there anyway (laughs) like Leah wasn't as pretty as Rachel I mean come on don't say that you know But uh, he finally marries Rachel and one day the Lord says to him, hey, it's time to go back to your father's land. He's like, but uh, my brother, what if, what if he's still ticked off at me? What if he still has unfinished business with me? And he's like, that's all right. I want you to get your stuff, get your family and go. And so he sends some men ahead of him. Like, hey, if you bump into Esau, see if he's all right. See if he's, you know, you know, made amends. And he bumps into Esau and Esau, Esau was like, it's too late to apologize. You know, he was like, hmm. And so he's like, oh man. And this is where we pick up the story. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 to 31 it says like this the same night he arose and took his two wives that in itself could be problems his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of a Jabbok he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone tell the person next to you alone he was left alone. Can you imagine with two wives how grateful he was to be left alone? He was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, and let me just pause here for a moment. This does not suggest that God was losing a match. This is suggesting that Jacob was not letting go of God. It's important that you get that. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joints as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, I love these Bible names, lipping because of his hip. The title of my message today is Wrestle. Let's pray again. Father, we invite you into this moment. And I thank you, Lord, that your kingdom does not consist of just words, but of power. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would take, Lord, my, my words, Father, but that you would come and just anoint this place so that people would have a revelation from you, God, that it would be your words, God, touching their hearts and bringing breakthrough, God. I thank you. You're meeting your daughters even here. I thank you, God, that you're in this place. We worship you. And we thank you for meeting with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you have a seat? Thank you, worship team. I hope it's okay with you, but tonight I'm going to get a little bit raw and real about some things that I discovered in my heart. Hey, Jess. This summer. This summer, I felt like I was invited into a wrestle with God. I, I had to come face to face that as a teenager and as a young adult, I went through some things, some painful and disappointing experiences in my journey of faith. And I placed this rug in this little corner of my heart, hoping that I would never have to touch it, reveal it, expose it, or deal with it. But this summer... As I mentioned, I felt the Holy Spirit say something kind of weird to me. He said, Miriam, it's time you wrestle me. And I was like, is that even theologically correct? I was like, what do you mean? I, I felt in the past the Holy Spirit say, come on, Miriam, get up and fight. It's time to contend for your sisters and brothers. It's time to fight for different things going on in the spirit. I, I've been invited into the fight before, but this was a different kind of fight. There was a, a wrestle that God was inviting me into. And I knew for some reason that I needed it. So to give you some context, I grew up in a Pentecostal Portuguese church just down the road. Actually, my father is the pastor there. And at that time, when I was younger, at 10, 11, 12, it was one of the more, more larger churches in the area. And we were known for the power and the presence of God. I mean, if you showed up to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, you were going to see like demons flying everywhere. You were going to like see people at the, I mean, it was insane. I was there for it. I was like, come on, Wednesday night prayer service. Let's go. You know, it was for me. It was so amazing. I mean, I would like see my dad like in the name of Jesus and things would just go. I was like, yes, Jesus, come on. 
But because my dad's church was known for so much of that power and for healing, we had people coming from everywhere, bringing people who were sick with all these different situations. And I remember my dad would rally the church around some serious situations. And I remember praying. I remember the church fasting. But the truth of the matter is a lot of those situations didn't always end up as we hoped and prayed for and believed for. I remember as early as 10 or 11, it started with a three-year-old little girl and on it went. I remember a seven or eight-year-old boy, Ricardo, he was diagnosed with cancer a few years before coming to our church and his parents got saved in our church and, and they were believing and they were declaring and we were praying as a church, but shortly after Ricardo as an eight-year-old boy went to be with Jesus. I remember our friend Alex, he was in our youth group and he had a heart condition, but there was no indication he was leaving us anytime soon. He wasn't in hospital. He wasn't, he looked fine. I mean, we knew he had a heart condition, but on one of the 4th of July weekends, I was at the beach with my friends. I get a phone call from my friend Sue that said, Alex just passed away. And I was like, how? I remember another story. One of my closest friends, Sonia, her mom, Palmyra, she had breast cancer and we fought and we prayed and we fasted and we believed with Sonia and Sonia's dad and we just believed and we said, God, we know you'll show up. But Sonia, as a 15-year-old girl, had to say goodbye to her mom. One of the ones that were probably the hardest for me was our kids leader, Edith. She was 26 years old. My dad loved her like a daughter. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember at this point, I was a little bit older. I think I was about 15 or 16. And I was like, I'm fasting with you guys. I'm I want to be a part of this story. I want to be a part of this miracle. And I remember the church rallied around Edith and she went through remission. And it was this incredible celebration, this incredible victory as a church. Like, yes, Edith is healed. This is incredible. And then one day, about a year later, I had a dream. And if you know me, right around that time is when I started having the prophetic dreams. And I saw in my, in, in my dream that Edith was in heaven. And I said to her, I'm like, Edith, what are you doing up here? And she's like, I'm healed. God called me home. I'm like, no, you need to be back home with me. And I woke up and I was confused because she was in remission. She was doing great. A couple days later, she fell really ill. And within a week, she was in heaven. And I could probably stand here and tell you countless more stories of, of people who left, who, who left a loss inside of my heart. And I had believed, I had hoped, but it didn't end the way I thought it should have ended. And that was all between the ages of 10 and 18. And that was the time that my faith was being formed. That was the time my view, my perception, my framework of God and heaven and, and faith was being formed. And, and I thank God that I was the kind of woman, even at a young age, who loved his word, who loved his presence. But if I could be honest, there were moments where more than I would like to admit that I had questions that I would just shove down in the secret place in my heart that would say, God, are you, are you really good? Like we, we, we say that, you know, that quote in church all the time, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. And we laugh about it, but there were moments where I wasn't laughing about it. And I was like, God, if I hear that quote one more time, because it doesn't feel like you're good all the time, 
And I had that moment where I was almost ashamed to tell anybody how I felt. I didn't feel like I can say, hey, I'm struggling here. My faith is hurting. I have a wound in my soul, but I hid it deep inside this little part of my heart. I put a little rug over it. And I thought maybe I'll just keep singing. Thank God I kept singing. I said, maybe if I sing louder, the pain will go away. The disappointment will go away. The truth of the matter is, thank God I kept singing because I believe the singing kept me. But I was breaking and I didn't even know it. Fast forward. Two years ago, my friend Faith, who's in here somewhere, my bestie for 20 years, here she is. She's my college bestie, and 20 years later, still chilling. <laughs> Two years ago, I got a phone call from her and her husband. The four of us are very close friends, and one of our best buddies, Steve Baker, one of my closest buddies in college. I knew he had my back. I had his back. If he needed prayer, he knew who to come to. If I needed prayer, I know who to go to. And she's like, you're not going to believe it, but um, Steve Baker was just diagnosed with a, an advanced form of lung cancer. Steve, fit, healthy, never smoked a cigarette in his life. Steve, who just had a baby? Steve, who just got married a few years ago? Come on. Yeah. And I was like, okay, no, this is fine. I mean, people like smoke till they're 95, drink Coca-Cola every day and have Wendy's every single day of their life and they're making it 100. They beat COVID three times. What the heck? <laughs> Steve's going to make it. He's 38. And that little piece of me that struggled to trust God, to fully trust his faithfulness, lived quietly but tumultuously inside of me. And so when I heard that, I said, everything's going to be fine. But deep inside is, well, do I really actually trust that? Fast forward two years. Here we are. It's the summer of 21. I get a text from Faith and Angel. Hey, guys, Steve's not looking good. They're giving him a couple more weeks. And I'm like, come on, it's, it's not real. I remember sending the prayer team a prayer request. Please pray for my friend. He's 39 now. He, he has a three-year-old little girl. He's just got married a few years ago. Come on, I need people to rally around this young man. He's young. He's my friend. There's no way. And, and I remember in that time, Brandon Lake, I think it's Brandon Lake. I get them all confused. A very anointed worship leader wrote a song, Too Good Not to Believe, I think it's called. I'm also terrible with l l lyrics and titles. I don't know how I led worship for so many years. I am hopeless. Thank God for this on the screen. If you ever see me looking crazy during worship, it's because the screen is wrong and I'm messing up all the songs. It's like, hurry up, put the screen up. I'm not even kidding you. The stage managers will tell you, Pastor Miriam's hyperventilating. We need the lyrics up on the screen. <laughs> I love you guys. He knows. Yeah, he's like, yep. And I remember sending Steve the song. There's a part in the song that says, I've seen cancer disappear. And there's a part that says, don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell And I would sing that song like, yes, God, you're going to do it. And I sent it to Steve and he sent a heart back. He's like, thanks, Mira. This is great. I was like, awesome. Standing in faith with you. And his faith was on a whole nother level. I was so proud of him. Two weeks later, about mid-June, I get another text from Faith and Angel. Hey guys, the doctors are only giving him a couple of days left, maybe hours. And in that moment, I was like, nah. I sent him the song again. But this time, he didn't reply. 
that was the last time I heard from Steve. And I'm going to tell you, I was rocked. I mean, rocked. But this time it was different. It was as if the rug that had been hitting, hiding, sorry, all the disappointment and the pain that I had just shoved away because I didn't know I could bring God my, my questions, my doubts, my disappointments. It was just tucked away in the bottom of my heart. And I was like, I can't hide this pain anymore. And I remember coming a few days later on a Sunday. Steve passes away, I believe, on a Thursday. And we're here on a Sunday. And for some reason, the worship team decides to sing that song. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you I raised my hands and I raised the hallelujah, but I didn't. When that part that, when that, part that said, don't you tell me he can't do it, when that part came on, I'm going to be honest and real. I know with you girls, I can be myself. I could be honest and real. I was like, you know what, God, you didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? You know what, God, why didn't you do it? You say you're good, but why did you leave a three-year-old girl without her daddy? And that was the first service. I had two more services to sit through. And I went home that day and thank God my husband loves me and gives me space to grieve. And I'm in my bed and I'm like, leave me be. But then Monday came and it was work time and I, got, I was getting ready. I was in the shower and I'm going to be really honest. I was having a moment, an ugly moment, like the ugly cry moment. But it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit said, Miriam, wrestle me. Wrestle me. Wrestle me. And I was like, what do you mean? How, I mean, how? I was like, wrestle you? He's like, it's okay, Miriam. I know you're angry. You can wrestle me. I'm not offended by your anger. I'm not offended by your grief. I'm not offended by your questions. I literally felt like God was inviting me to come and wrestle this out with him. Like, come on, I can take it. Come on, I can take your questions, your doubts, your hurts. I can take your pain. I can take it. And I knew it wasn't a street fight. I felt it was more like a little girl trying to wrestle with her daddy. I knew I was no match for God, but at the same time, there was something so close about that moment. Like I, I felt him so close, even though I was so angry. It was as if God got me in the ring, not because he was asking me for a match, but he was asking me for a moment. He was asking me for a moment. It was a wrestle, a, a struggle, the whys, the how comes, the I thought you said, but more and more what I realized God was doing was inviting me to wrestle out all this pain and come to a place where I could know him. No, really know him. A lot of us know him, but I'm talking about really knowing him. I mean a face-to-face -face Peniel moment where we don't just come to church, worship him, go home, do a few devotionals. No, I'm talking about the kind of people that lay bare before God, face plain it on the floor and say, here I am, God, I'm surrendered to you. It's those moments. It was an invitation from God to say, it's okay, Miriam, I can handle your real thoughts about what you think I haven't done. What you think was my lack of faithfulness. What you think was my untrustworthiness. I remember in the shower saying, are you actually good or, or are we just programmed to say it? And I can give you a C.S. Lewis answer. I can give you a really good theological answer for why there is suffering in the world. 
But the Holy Spirit was inviting me into my own revelation of God's goodness for my life. You see, you can hear the preacher preach about the goodness of God. You can hear the song sing about the goodness of God. But you need to have that one-on-one -on -one encounter where you for yourself know and it is seared in your spirit that you have tasted and seen that he is good. It is in that moment, in that wrestle, that there is balm, the balm of Gilead. What is that? It is this precious balm that is Jesus. It is this precious balm that in his presence, he brings healing, not just to your body, but to your wounds, to your soul. He was inviting me into that moment where yes, I was grieving and I was angry, but he was saying, come in my presence. There is balm. There is medication for you, baby. There is healing for you. Thank God that he who has begun a good work in us will continue to the day of Jesus Christ. Because I always believed in the goodness of God, but there was just moments where there's a little something inside of me that would say, but, but are you though? Can I really trust you with my kids? Can I really trust you? Will you really come through? Like, like really? I'm being so vulnerable and honest with you today because I wonder how many of us in here through the years have just lived with unspoken disappointments and hurts. And we just shove it inside and we raise our hallelujahs as we should through the pain. But if we don't come and lay our burdens at the cross, if we don't come and deal with the breaks in the foundation of our heart, if we don't come and deal with our trust issue, with God, our faith issue, it turns into fear. It turns into bitterness. We become religious. Then we become parrots who repeat things with our mouth but have no conviction in our heart. You know, after the weepathon in the shower, and after I finally said all I had to say, I waited until the Holy Spirit responded. And I felt him say, Now that you've had everything and you said everything you had to say, I want you to find out for yourself, not through someone else's revelation, not through some careful, crafted, theological response. I want you to find out for yourself why God is good and why He has been good to you but through the word of God because that always has to be our point of reference always always do not do what others do they go and they form their own view of God they form their own idea of what should be what Christ should be like what his word actually should say because now we're in 2021 and that doesn't work for now God's word is living and breathing it is active it is alive it is working who are we to change things up? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that question, who is God and why is he good to you, stayed with me for a few days. And the wrestle was on. That scripture in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I was not letting go until my heart, my, my guts, and my mind were completely aligned in who I knew my God was. Because here's the thing. I knew he was good, but there was just a part of me that doubted. I knew, I knew I had tasted and seen the goodness of God. I've experienced his presence. There's no place I'd rather live than the presence of God. Maybe Tahiti, but you know, that's a different story. But you know, the presence of God is incredible. So I know God is real. I know he's good, but there's just moments that I just question. So I needed that revelation. 
So I started reading books, studying men and women of God from the Bible, their journey, their stories. Not just the end. Don't we just love the end of the stories? The end of Job's story, the end of Joseph's story, the end of all these people's stories. But we have to be careful to actually understand the process the pattern, the, what, the chapters that lead us to the end. The chapters, there's so much. God is so much more interested in the process of the making of a woman of God. Yeah. It is the process of a ma- the making of the woman of God, the purifying, the sanctifying, the fire that purifies us. Don't despise it even though it's hard. And I learned a whole lot of stuff during these last few months. The first thing I learned was God doesn't reveal his grand design. He reveals himself. First Corinthians 13, 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. It's not that God delights in keeping us in the dark about how things work, but we don't have the faculties to absorb the light. We don't have the faculties. We don't have the, the comprehension big enough to understand the vastness of our God. And we try to make God work within our own framework, within our worldly mind's view, uh, world's view and and our perception. We try to put God in this box, but the truth of the matter is he's too big for your box. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We need to stop thinking of God in the context of this world. He is out of this world, but loves us so much that he's Emmanuel and comes into this world to bring us comfort and love and to encounter us face to face. Second thing I learned was where there is no longer opportunity for doubts, there is no longer opportunity for faith either. See, if all the mysteries of heaven were spilled out, spelled out right in front of us, there would be no need for faith. But God's love language is faith. My poor husband, I have all five love languages. He's like, babe, what's your love language? All of them. They're all my love language. All of them. But God's love language, I believe, is faith. It's learning to believe when there is no reason left to believe. That's the faith that pleases God. Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know, I read up on Joseph. God gave him a dream. And unfortunately, he wasn't very wise, so he told his brothers about it and he boasted and his brothers like, all right, this guy's an idiot. Let's get rid of him. So they threw him in a pit And then they're like, oh, dad's going to find out that was us. So let's just like sell him. (laughs) So there was this caravan coming from Gilead, actually. And in that caravan, actually, if you read it in Genesis, there was some balm in there too, by the way. And a couple of other things, myrrh, if I'm not mistaken, spice, I think. And so he gets sold into this caravan from Gilead. And on his way, he goes to Potiphar's house serving as a slave there and then he works his way up into the household and then Potiphar's wife who my husband likes to call Hotifer um, (laughs) accuses him of doing something and then he gets thrown into prison and then in prison governor or pharaoh whatever his name was had some dreams and so things are about to happen famines and all that stuff and he interpreted the dream so he got promoted again but if you look at his life you would think how unfair God 
You gave him a dream. He tried to live it out, but everything that happened to him until the end was just unfair, unfair, unfair. He was faithful, yet prison. Unfair, unfair, unfair. I think about Job's story. Talk about unfair, pain, loss, disappointment. He lost every single thing. And yet he said about God, yet though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Yet he's, I'm sorry, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. What? Job believed when there was no reason to believe. How can someone with Job's story still be able to say that? What did he have? He had intimacy with God. He had communion with God. He knew his God. He knew, like knew, knew, not just like know about someone. Like I knew about, like I know about Paris Hilton. Is she even a thing still? I don't even know. I, uh, just the first thing that came to mind, how random was that? I know about some random person, but I don't know them. But do you know God? Like, do you really know God? Job, I believe, really knew God, which is why he could say, though he slay me, yet will I still hope in him. He had an intimate encounter that had seared his heart. Like, you know when you sear a good steak, like a really good steak and all the juices get in there? Oh, my word. That's what you have to do. You got to sear it so all the juices get in. I can't wait to eat steak after. Just kidding. Look at the disciples for a moment. They left everything to follow Jesus. They're like, the king is here. The Messiah is here. He's here to give us abundant life. Yet they were being martyred and persecuted and pressed on every side. They were scattered, but thank God for the scatter because the scatter led to the spread that makes you and me here today, delivered, restored, set free. Thank God for the scatter. Thank God they had to leave it all. Thank God it looked unfair that they went and they gave their lives to run after this Jesus. Thank God. They knew Jesus and they knew he was worth dying for. I read this quote in this book recently and it said, Jesus offered no immunity, no way out of the unfairness, but rather a way through it to the other side. Just as Good Friday demolished the instinctive belief that this life is supposed to be fair, Easter Sunday followed with its startling clue to the riddle of the universe, that out of the darkness, a bright light shone. Is God's love found in answering our prayers? Sure. But what of an unanswered prayer? Is it unloving? Maybe he's not finished. And maybe because of our inability to comprehend eternity, we only understand good in the context of this world, but we have no grasp of eternity yet. The third thing that really struck me since these last few months of my wrestle with God was that the titles of the Holy Spirit gives me insight that in life I will have pain. The very titles given to the Spirit are intercessor, helper, counselor, comforter. It implies I will have pain, but it also implies that although I have pain, I will have comfort. I will have a counselor. I will have someone who will guide me. I will have someone who will intercede and be in the gap for me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I felt like tonight I was to speak to three different groups of women in this place who need to wrestle through some things tonight. And 
The first daughter is the daughter with disengaged faith, a dormant faith. She's the one who is perhaps fulfilling a religious obligation. You know about God, but don't truly know God. Or maybe you've got lazy in your faith. The fire maybe hasn't been lit yet, or maybe the fire has gone out. By the way, we're doing a Holy, se- a Holy Spirit session tomorrow. Be here for that. It's gonna be lit for real. Just get. <laughs> if my son heard me say that, he'd be like, Mother, never say lit again. Oh, hey, Ben, you're here. Sorry, babe. Lit, 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 lit. And what's in a, there's a new thing that he says all the time bet. He says bet, bet. I don't even know what that is. Bet, babe, bet. It's gonna be 13. Help me, Jesus. Help me, help me. Thank God he loves the Lord so much and he encountered the Holy Spirit at an early age. Thank God. I believe with that daughter, he wants to have an encounter with you this weekend and he wants to light that flame. He wants to ignite a fire in your soul, but you might need to wrestle your flesh, but that's okay. The flesh is not your Lord. The second daughter that I want to talk to tonight is the daughter deconstructing her faith. Because of questions, doubts, and unfair circumstances, maybe unpopular truths from the word that don't align with culture right now. They're thinking of walking away from Jesus and they call it deconstructing faith. And and they may argue and say that they love Jesus. You may say, I love Jesus, I'm not leaving him. But if you're leaving the principles of his word, if you're creating your own version of God instead of surrendering to Him and His Word, if you're removing yourself from His body, the church, you may say you love Jesus, but He says to love Him is to follow Him. I hear that a lot, but I love Jesus. I don't have to, well, if you remove yourself from His body and if you don't follow Him, He says to love Him is to follow Him. Jesus didn't die just so that we would love him, although I know he loves that we love him. He died so that we would become his disciples. Please don't come to church for the rest of your life without understanding that we are here to make disciples. We're not here to tickle your ears. We're not here to just give you a good word. We're not here to just, you know, like butter you up. No, we are here to offend you sometimes. We are here to challenge you sometimes. We are here to tell you that that sin that you love to play with and dangle with is not for you. It will actually ensnare you. And the church is here to help come alongside and co-labor with the Jesus Christ and bring freedom. We are for you. The body of Christ is for you. Just because we're not for the things that you want to be with, doesn't mean we're not for you. We love you more than you would know. And I have to ask a question. If we leave Jesus, to whom will we go? To the world? To the places that will leave us empty and dry? To philosophies based on what feels good but has no lasting truth? To who, who, who holds eternal life? Who holds the keys to eternal life? Who will we go to? And Jesus had this conversation with his disciples in John 6 when when he was teaching some very hard truths and many of the disciples just got up and walked away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he says to them, are you gonna leave me too? And I love Peter's answer. You know what he said? He said, who will we go to? 
who will we go to? People who leave God, I'm like, who are you going to? To yourself? Because I mean, I let myself down all the time. I mean, I, have, I go on a diet every Monday. I fail by two o'clock. Where's that Krispy Kreme donut? Glory to God. I'm not that bad. Maybe a little bit, but not that bad. Whom shall we go to? That was a bomb answer, Peter. That was awesome. The third daughter I want to speak to is the daughter with doubts and disappointed faith. Christian women who love the Lord with all their heart but are walking around wounded and defeated. And the truth of the matter is we don't have to fight for victory. We are already fighting from victory because He finished it all on the cross. But there's so many of us walking around defeated and wounded. They're still here, but the winds, the waves, the roar feels life is knocking them down. The pain, the disappointment, the questions, the doubts are getting louder and it's time to wrestle. See, being a Christian doesn't change what you deal with, it changes how you deal with it. And let me just say, if I can for a moment, I guess I will anyway, but let me just say, if we don't wrestle these hard things that get in us or happen around us, we wind up being like those older Christians who say they're mature Christians or seasoned Christians. But to be honest, if you look at them, they are religious, bitter, negative Christians who don't produce fruit anymore, have lost their life and joy and their vitality in serving the Lord. Why? Because they've forgotten how to get on their face before God and say, here I am, clean me, Lord, purify my heart, create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. They allowed for things to linger too long in their hearts without proper healing. Wrestle Him. Wrestle Him, not from a place of striving, but from a place of seeking Him with all your heart. This message is not about striving with God. This message is about a moment with God. He's not interested in a match with you. He's interested in a moment with you. In the passage that we read, J Jacob kept fighting and did not let go until he got his blessing. Jacob wanted his blessing so bad, he would not let go. And then something so cool happened. God changed Jacob's name from deceiver to Israel. Like a, literally a nation came out of Jacob. How cool. And the name meant struggles with God. And maybe someone has to have that encounter with God tonight where he just changes this identity that maybe you came in here with today. Maybe you came in saying, I'm suicidal, but you're gonna leave out of here today saying I'm full of life and purpose. Maybe you came in here depressed, but you're gonna leave out of here saying I'm joyful. Maybe you came in here tonight saying I'm anxious, but you're gonna leave here today saying I'm peaceful. Maybe you came in here today saying I'm lustful, but you're leaving here today and saying I'm pure. Maybe you came in here today and you're saying you're addicted, but I'm telling you, you can leave here today saying I am free. Maybe you came in here today saying I'm the mother of the son who's in jail, the daughter who's pregnant, the kid that's on drugs, but today you can leave here and say, I am an intercessor in the gap for my children. We need intercessors to arise and pay the price 
on their face for their children for this generation we need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that will take we have a host of kids in this church who don't have parents who serve the Lord will some of you arise and pray and intercede and get in the gap and fast and encourage and speak life for them Maybe some of you came in here today and said, I'm a divorced woman, but I, I believe you're going to walk out of here and say, I'm a whole woman. Maybe you're in here today and you're saying, I'm barren. You're going to leave out of here today say, I'm fruitful. Maybe you're saying, I'm inadequate. No, I'm more than enough. I have to put this one in here for Yasmin. I'm a failure. No, I am the head and not the tail an inside joke I say that for some reason I don't know why every single message you are the head and not the tail comes out I don't know why that is who I am you can have a seat we have a couple more minutes I wanted to do something in this moment I wanted to honor someone in this moment before we have our wrestle time I want to honor someone who I've seen wrestle I've seen her wrestle through pain, confusion. She's asked, she's wrestled, she's fought to understand. She's asked hard questions. She dug deep, she dug the, the scriptures deep. And a lot of people would have seen her struggle as a weakness, but I actually saw it as a strength. I mean, she would text me the same questions every day. Why, why, I, I, why, I, I don't deserve, why, why? And I would respond the same way every single day. Why, long text, why? And I would respond the same way every day. I saw this woman wrestle, wrestle, not shove it down. She had so much shame and so much disappointment and so much heartbreak, but she refused to shove the pain and the disappointment down. And so she wrestled with God. She wrestled with her sisters because she refused to allow bitterness towards God affect her spirit. And today I want to honor Katiana. I want you to stand. this message can bless you but it's what you do with it now and beyond that can actually change you you can wrestle dad not because he wants a match with you I know I said it a few times but it's truly because he wants a moment with you it was so strange that in that moment in the shower when I was thinking I was doing jabs and kicks and God why and I thought he was gonna be angry at me for being so honest and real so strange because when I actually did that I felt him closer than ever so comforting it was so it was so incredible hello who's there God wants to have a pennial moment with you a face-to-face -face encounter we are living in a time where we cannot just live off of other people's encounters 
or other people's revelations of God. And I had to ask myself this question this summer, what about God should keep me anchored in Him? If He took everything away that anchors my belief in Him, why should I still believe He's good? And for me, I had a long list of answers, but just to name a few, He sent His Son Jesus to redeem me. I could just finish and leave, that's it. But His unmatchable presence is one of the greatest treasures of my life. His presence, His, His, His grace and mercy that are on tap for me, like I don't deserve it, but it's like on tap. He adopted me, He adopted me. And what if that was all? Then His grace would be sufficient. We need to learn how to linger in His presence, how to be women who get on our faces before God and say, here I am, I'm surrendered. Mold me, make me, purify me. I wanna live for you. I wanna take up my cross and follow you, whatever the cost. It's funny, we say that, right, in moments of worship. I'll follow you, whatever. Oceans, I don't know the lyrics, but oceans deep in the water somewhere. When it actually comes time to take up our cross and follow Jesus, do we mean oceans deep in the water somewhere? No, I'm serious though. We say these things in church and I think we mean them. But then when we face life on Monday, it's like I was joking. The world needs us to take our living for Jesus seriously. We need to become women who are fully submitted to God's will, but for some reason in this life right now, it seems like we want God submitted to our will. We have it all upside down, like Pastor Alex's book. By the way, thank you for being here, Pastor Alex, Pastor Maria. If we say we are followers of Jesus, then follow him because the world needs a true light. There's a whole lot of darkness and what is the answer? It is the light of Jesus through us. But we need to show them we're living for him. But it's hard to stand firm if you don't have a true encounter with him. How can you be steadfast in your faith if you don't know God, really know him? Is there a pain, a wound, a, a doubt, confusion, disappointment, a lifestyle of sin that you just can't seem to shake off that you have hidden in your heart? I pray that today you wrestle with dad and have a moment with him so you can be healed. My wrestle brought me a greater revelation of God the Father. And I pray that tonight we're gonna worship a little. We're gonna push back the chair so we can have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with God. You can have it in your seat. You can kneel, you can lay. If there's room, I know there's not a lot of room. I know we just expanded and it's still really small. It's okay, next year it's gonna be bigger. But I don't wanna miss this moment now, girls. For some of you, this moment right here can be life-changing. Because maybe you just come to church to do your religious obligation, but there's no life on the inside. Or maybe you're thinking about walking away from Jesus, but to whom will you go to? Or maybe you're just wounded and you need some, some ministry time, some wounds to be ministered to right now in this moment and tell you what, Jesus is here, the balm of Gilead is here, ready to heal. 
There's this song that just came out and we can stand. And there was just all week long, I didn't even know it. I even asked Pastor Magnum, I'm like, there's this song again, lyrics. There's this song and it just says something like to know you, to really know you, but I don't know who sings it. I don't know what album and I don't know where it came from, but it's constantly on. And then he told me the song, it's called Weathered. Who sings it? Bethel. But I want us to just focus on this one chorus for a moment and just let it minister to you.